0: I thought about wearing a shirt that said, Mom, so everybody would know, but I was like, no, 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 we don't need to to do that. (laughs) All right, so um, let's get started. Have you guys ever heard some news or someone was telling you something, maybe good news or bad news, but you had trouble believing it? You know, it's something that you want to believe, but you can't, you kind of need more proof. So back in 1944, this was during World War II, there was a Japanese soldier by the name of Hiro Onada. And Hiro was deployed to this island in the Philippines. And his order was, you know, defend against enemy attacks, never surrender, and don't kill yourself. So unfortunately for him, soon after he landed, um... The United States and Philippine forces came in, took over the island. Every Japanese soldier was killed, other than Hiro and three other soldiers. So Hiro, now by default promoted to lieutenant, he orders the men, they retreat into the mountains. So they go into the mountains, there's only four of them, but they continue the war. They continue with guerrilla warfare, they're like, I don't know, like stealing food, burning crops, whatever people do during war. Um, but they continue. About a year later, 1945, Japan surrenders, and World War II is over. So the Japanese military, they, you know, this is this is before um, like internet. So like they send an aircraft over the mountains, and they're just dropping flyers, like leaflets, and they're like, "Hey, the war is over." any remaining Japanese soldiers come out and surrender. Hiro and uh, his his comrades, they they look at the paper and they're like, nah, this is fake news. This is fake news. We don't believe it. So they stay. I mean, the war is over, but but they don't believe it. So then, like, eventually the Japanese government sends another aircraft and they drop, um, like, family photos and letters. And they're like, the war is over. Please come home. And then Hiro and, and, and the soldiers, they look at it, They're like, no, this is a trick, man. No, we're not leaving. We're not coming out. Eventually, only one of the soldiers surrender. Uh, and the two others, get, two others, other than Hiro, uh, get killed from like, local police shootouts. And Hiro was all alone. See, he had trouble believing the news that was given to him, and today we're going to read a story about some good news that has been proclaimed, a prophecy fulfilled, and then disbelief. So why don't you guys pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this day that uh, we honor mothers. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that we can glorify you and learn from you and Lord, we pray that your spirit will speak to our hearts and convict us. Father, we pray that you would teach us more about who you are. And Lord, I just ask that there would be more of you and less of me this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you've ever read the books of the Old Testament, you know that what the books that we have, the history that is recorded in our Old Testament— ends in like a cliffhanger. It ends in a cliffhanger. Uh, Israel has been conquered. They're dispersed into foreign lands now. They're oppressed minority. Uh, Now they're called Jews. And we're waiting because the prophets of Israel had talked about this everlasting king that was coming. There's this everlasting kingdom that was supposed to come. But by the end of the uh, books in the Old Testament, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Um, All we have is the prophet Malachi. Prophet Malachi records the Lord saying, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way for me. That's it. (laughs) Isaiah also talks about it. Isaiah says there's a voice that cries out from the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. But then that's it. That's it. So we are going to read in the Gospel of Luke today and see what happens. Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 5. Winnie did me a favor and made the font really small so we could fit the whole passage in. I apologize. Get your reading glasses on if it's a little small. Um, But we are in Luke, chapter 1, verse 5. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. What an announcement. What a great birth announcement, and so appropriate for today. So happy Mother's Day. We just read a passage about how Elizabeth is going to be a mother. So let's get into it. So the first indication that the winds have shifted, that things are going to change for Israel, for the Jews, is this prophecy, is this vision that Zechariah the priest has in the temple. So have you guys ever been on just like a long, long flight? (laughs) How many of you have traveled like to the other side of the world and you've been on a plane for like 10 hours, 12 hours, you're weary, you smell, you can't shower, the guy's snoring, you've been cramped for so long and you're just waiting for this to be over? And then you look out that tiny little airplane window and you see land (laughs) and there's no more clouds. You see the water, you see the islands, you see grass and you're just like, that's the first sun. We're almost there. We're almost there. And there's a sense of excitement and anticipation like you're getting ready to get that seatbelt off. You're ready. See, this is the first sign that something is going to change, that something is changing for Israel. See, if we often call John the Baptist uh, a herald, a herald is someone who comes before a king. He announces the king's arrival. See, if this messenger that was prophesied is coming, that means the king is coming. That means the Messiah is coming. If John is coming, if he's on his way, That means Jesus is coming. So Luke starts off telling us the time period that this takes place in, and he lets us know this is happening during the days of Herod. King Herod, he was king of Judeans. He was a a vassal king. A a vassal king is like a puppet king. So he was set up by Rome to serve the interests of Rome. Uh, Nobody liked him. The Jews didn't like him, the Christians. He was known to be uh, kind of power-hungry. Like he was murderous. He murdered his first wife. He's murdered family members. We'll hear more later in Luke about his reaction when he hears Jesus uh, is born. But this is the days that we're in. And this is the context where we meet this elderly Jewish couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they said Luke records that Zechariah was a priest. He was devoted to the Lord's work. And he married Elizabeth. Also from, also a descendant of Aaron. Aaron, Moses' brother, the OG high priest. That's the family that Elizabeth comes from. This is like that couple in church where they are just from lines of pastors. Our pastors like this, like their family's just been in ministry forever. That's this couple, this elderly couple. And Luke says that... um, they were righteous. They walked blamelessly before the Lord. Uh, they love the Lord. They serve the Lord. They do everything right. But there's a pain point in their lives. There's a pain point. They can't have children. They're infertile. They're infertile. You know, back then, if a couple couldn't have kids, it was always a woman's fault. So you see it in the text here. You know, It doesn't say they're infertile. It says, Elizabeth was barren. Elizabeth was barren. So at first glance, this passage seems to be really joyous, right? It's a, it's a birth announcement of John the Baptist. But it actually starts off with suffering, with suffering. So a few weeks ago, some of us might not have known it was National Infertility Awareness Week. That means it was it was the week where we celebrate the women and men who have been waiting, who could not have children. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that because while most of us would agree that, you know, when we have a baby that's a gift from God, we want to be careful to not suggest to not believe that if we haven't been given a child or if a couple hasn't been given children, that somehow they must have done something wrong. They must be condemned by God. And that kind of thinking can permeate in us. See, our first point today is that godly people, God-fearing, God-loving people, struggle. Godly people also suffer. Godly people also pray for very long periods of time, and God does not give them what they ask for. Now this is a hard truth. It's a hard truth for many of us to understand because we live in this society where it's kind of like we earn things, right? We earn things. You know, this is this is a hard truth. I, I wrote down two types of people. If you're a young believer or if you're immature, let's say you're you're new to the faith. You're just getting to know God. You're just building your relationship with him. You're just getting to know him from the scriptures and you pray, and you think, yeah, this God, Jesus loves me, so he's going to answer, and he doesn't, that will hurt. That will hurt you. You know, that, that can feel like a rejection, because your relationship with God is new. You know, I remember when I was a young Christian, I was uh, with kind of a charismatic group of um, Christians, and all the leaders in this group could pray in tongues. So if you guys don't know what tongues is, it's a language that God gifts some believers um, so that they can pray and it edifies them. I know this is a can of worms, but Paul writes to the church at Corinth uh, that not everyone has the same gifts. We don't all have tongues. We don't all prophecy. We don't all have the gift of teaching. But when I was younger, spiritually, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand that we were all parts and that we all had different gifts. So I wanted tongues like the leaders did. And I prayed. And I didn't get it. I still haven't gotten it to this day. But back then, it was really hurtful. Like, I didn't understand. I didn't understand why he wouldn't give me something that I was asking that was good. You know, another group of people that struggle with this idea is if we've been raised in a legalistic tradition, a legalistic uh, faith where you know, we, the gospel is preached to us, but it, you know, the way the actions are put out, it's like our works are more important than our faith. If we've been raised in a legalistic faith, that's when we get this sense of entitlement, right? That's when we're like, God, I'm leading a Bible study. I'm going to prayer meeting. I'm setting up chairs. God, why are you not hearing me? Why are you not blessing me? Look, I'm giving like what? Like 20 hours a week to you. And yet you're not you're not answering my prayers. You're blessing that guy. He doesn't even want to pick up the bagels. And yet he's the one getting the promotion. Like, I don't get it, God. See, we, we think that when we pray, if we walk in his statutes, if, we, if we're blameless and we serve him, then he should, you know, he should respond, right? He should give us uh, what we need, what we want. See, God never writes in his scriptures that he's a genie. He never writes that he is here to serve us, to grant us those things that we want, even if the things that we want are good, And that's very confusing for us because the things we ask for, the things we pray for, God, heal my father. God, uh, give me a relationship. Give me a marriage. I want to glorify you in it. God, give me a baby so I can disciple him and disciple her to know you. See, these are good things. And yet, God does not always answer. God does not always answer. And it's hard for us to understand. It was hard for the disciples of Jesus to understand. There was an instance recorded where Jesus meets a man who was blind from birth. So he was born with this condition. And the disciples, their immediate reaction was, see, they're trying to learn, but they're immature. They're like, Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was it because he sinned? Or was it because of his parents' sin? Like, what caused God to punish this man? And Jesus said, it was neither. It was neither. This man is blind so that the works of God can be displayed in him. That was God's reason, to bring glory to himself, not because the man did anything wrong, not because the parents did anything wrong. So he heals a man, the man ends up testifying to the Jews, testifying to the skeptics. See, we don't know why God doesn't always bless us the way that we ask. But we have to be careful to think that he has abandoned us We have to be careful to think that this is punishment. We have to be careful to think that God is far from us because of sin, because God has never been far from us because of sin. We think that we have to earn his favor sometimes. You know, when we're bitter, I have a friend who, she turns 40 this year, and God has still not brought her a husband. And one of the things she told me was, she was like, Tiff, I think I'm still single because... I spent too much time in ministry. I spent too much time on the mission field. I spent too much time serving him. See, we get bitter. We don't understand. But Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know, they were as righteous as righteous could be, and God still did not give them what they desired. See, godly people will struggle. That is is a fact that we must understand. But for Zechariah and Elizabeth, things do change. Things do change in this passage for them. It changes when they're very old. So they've had many years of pain before this moment. Luke records that Zechariah is serving in the temple like he always does, and he gets a visitation from an angel. So it says here that he was chosen by lottery to go burn incense in the holy place. This is a custom that the priests do only once in their lifetime. Only once. After they get chosen by lottery, they're off the roster. So today, in the passage, Zechariah gets picked. Today is Zechariah's day to go inside. The people are praying outside. He's the priest that goes inside. His, His task is to place the incense on the altar to bow his head and pray. So it's at this point, he's all by himself, he puts the incense, and then an angel appears on the right side of the altar. That's important because the right side of a king's throne is a place of great honor. So we know this angel coming is coming on royal duty. He's representing news from God himself. So understandably, Zechariah is terrified. Luke says he's like filled with fear. Um, And the angel tells him, he's like, don't worry, don't be afraid, I have good news, I have good news. And he tells him that he and his wife are going to have a son. But there's more details, there's more details. First, the angel names him, so Zechariah and Elizabeth put that list away. (laughs) God's already given this this child a name, his name is John. Uh, And also, the angel says, he will bring you joy and gladness, so that's one. Many will rejoice at his birth. That's two. There's a lot more people impacted by uh, John's birth. And he will be great in the sight of the Lord. So that's another level. That's another level that's happening with this birth. I love how God's so efficient. You know, you get three things done at once. (laughs) Um, See, this brings us to our second point, which is that God is interweaving his plan through human lives. Does that make sense? Like God weaves his salvific plan. His plan of redemption is not this solo project. He's doing it through us. See, when we read these accounts in these holy books, we're reading all these individual narratives, right? If you've ever gone to Sunday school, you just get like these stories that are like all disconnected. All these individual narratives of people that, are like us. They have fertility issues. There's romantic drama, love triangles in uh, Genesis, family problems. People are cheating on each other. There's weddings without wine, like problems. (laughs) People's problems. We're reading these narratives of regular everyday things, but we're also reading the story of God, the story of how God is interacting with us, engaging with us, blessing us, calling us. See, we see it so clearly in this story. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're just desperate, praying for a baby, and then God answers. But they're also tasked to raise this great prophet, raise this great prophet who's going to bring, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. See, this is this truth that we often neglect, which is that God is using us, using us to bring about his plan. He's using our ordinary, regular lives to bring about this grand plan. See, one of the things I wrestle with in Christian culture is how we uplift these people. Like Sunday schools call these like heroes of the faith, and there are these just stories but they're regular people. These are our brothers and sisters in spiritual history. These are our spiritual ancestors. They sin, they struggle, they wrestle with him. Here they're super righteous and God is using them. God is calling them. And the truth is God is using us and calling us. So what do I mean by that? How do we see ourselves in this story that seems so far away? Well, Zechariah, we know, is a priest. He was a priest. He went into the holy place. That holy place is separated by a curtain from the holy of holies, which is where God's presence resided. We read in the Gospels that all Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say when Jesus hung on that cross, that curtain was torn in two. So the access to God no longer goes through People walking with incense by themselves in the temple while everybody stands outside. We don't live in that age anymore. The Apostle Peter calls us, those who follow Jesus, we are a holy priesthood. We offer spiritual sacrifices to God. Do you know what that means, church? That means we are priests and priestesses. We are priests and priestesses. Paul wrote to the Ephesians that uh, when we believed in Jesus, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Here the angel's like, hey, this baby, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. Big deal, we all got the Holy Spirit now. We all have the Holy Spirit. See, uh, Luke says that this baby, John, is going to turn many Many to God, many from the people of Israel to God. What is our commission, church? Jesus told us to make disciples. Jesus is calling us to turn many people to him so that they might receive salvation. See, God is weaving his plan through Zechariah and Elizabeth, through John, and through us. See, there's a difference between reading a story like you read Lord of the Rings and you're like, wow, that was cool, I can't wait for the movie. And when we read, uh, I guess the movie came out, wow, I can't wait to watch the movie. And uh, and when we read these narratives, because these narratives happened, we should be reading them thinking like, wow, that's what God was doing before. That's what was happening before I got here, before I was spiritually born. If that's what was happening then what's, what's my role? What's he doing now? See, before, before we get too ahead of ourselves, before we start to ask, what are we doing in God's plan? The first thing we have to do is we have to accept the good news that was given to us. See, for Zechariah, the good news was too good to be true. It was too good. He knew his reality. It was too good to be true. We know Zechariah Knows this is an angel. He's filled with fear. He's terrified. He knows this is no ordinary scenario. This is an angel. He's filled with fear. But when the angel tells him this prophecy, his reaction was like, how shall I know this? <laughs> how, how, how do we know for sure? You know, I'm old. My wife's old. See, he, he doubts. He doubts Gabriel's words. He doubts it. He's just like Hiro, the soldier from our introduction. He's like, fake news. This isn't true. I need more proof. I need more of a sign. See, as righteous as Zechariah was, as faithful as he was, serving the Lord for so many years, I imagine in his own life, he has been praying for that many years for a child. And he's accepted, all right, this is the reality. You know, we're old now, it ain't happening. This is his normal. And it's hard to believe, even if an angel shows up. So for us, for many of us, if we have been living a life of sin for a long time, or maybe we've been far away from God for a long time, sometimes it's hard for us to accept the good news of the gospel. It's hard for us to believe in our hearts that what has been proclaimed to us, that the good news that has been proclaimed to us is really true. I'm going to tell you some good news that goes along with our gospel. John 1.12 says, If you believe in him, you are a child of God. Romans 5.1 says, You are justified before God through your faith, that you have peace with him. Romans 8.1-2 says, You are free from condemnation. Romans 8, 38, 40 says says, nothing in creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Church, do you believe this? Because I have met so many believers who have told me they have been Christians for so long and I have met so many believers who are struggling in their lives and they're like, Tiff, if God really loves me, why don't I feel it? Why don't I feel it? See, it's easy to, to look at Zechariah and, and be like, how come you don't, you're not excited at this good news? But in our deepest hearts, a lot of us, and I'm going to be real with you, a lot of us are insecure as believers. A lot of us are insecure. Maybe we feel like we don't know the Bible well enough We don't understand anything in the Old Testament. We can't pray like someone else is praying. God forbid nobody find out that I don't have any devotional time. I don't pray every day. I don't think about God. There are weeks when I don't think about God, and we have this insecurity. And it's hard for us to walk and live as Christians because we're always wondering, am I really saved? You know, we want a sign like Zechariah. We want some gift. We want some prophecy. But the good news for Zechariah and Elizabeth is true. And the good news of the gospel, the good news that God has come and removed our sin is true. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? So with Zechariah, his doubt kind of offended uh, Gabriel. I kind of feel bad. I feel like Gabriel's on this royal duty to give this good news and And uh, Zechariah's like, well, prove it to me. (laughs) So I kind of feel bad for Gabriel. I I don't fault him. Uh, The angel kind of strikes Zechariah mute, so mute. Uh, Zechariah can't speak. He's just making signs when he comes out of the temple. Um, But Elizabeth, Elizabeth eventually does conceive, and you see her reaction, and her reaction is just one of thankfulness. She is thankful, not at this high level. She's not like... God, you know, thank you for, for this, this messenger, this prophet. In this passage, she's just thankful that God has removed her shame, that God has removed her shame. So we also should be thankful. We should praise God for our salvation, praise God for this good news that we did not have to earn, that we cannot negate by our sin, but there's more to it because Zechariah and Elizabeth have to raise this kid now. <laughs> See, we stop at this birth announcement. And I think many of us who are parents, uh, when we find out we have, we, we're going to have a baby, that's exciting. And then when they don't sleep, <laughs> and then when they're here, right? When, when they're here, I don't want to scare you, Take when, when they're not sleeping and you're, you're trying to care for them, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to be old parents, and I'm an old parent, and we are tired. <laughs> we are tired, but yet this is their calling, right? This is their calling. God's giving them a baby, but look, he can't have alcohol, and they're going to have to deal with that. They're going to have to, there'll be weddings, they're going to be like, nah, just, just just, sit back. Here's some juice, you know? <laughs> they're going to have to live up to that role, of being this prophet, this great prophet's parents. So what does that mean for us? Well, church, we are also given tasks to do. We have been called to make disciples for Jesus. We are part of God's plan, and we know God's plan. We know he is redeeming for himself people from every tribe, nation, language, tongue. We know that. We know that. So what are we going to do? We're going to wait for an angel to tell us what to do. Might not happen. It might happen. Next time you uh, go into your closet, it might happen. God may say clearly, "This this is what I need you to do. But sometimes it takes a little bit of prayer. So I'm going to give us some things that we can do. The first thing we can do is just ask God, where have you been working in my life? Where have you been working in my life? What have you been doing in my life? Where do I work? What kind of job did you give me? Who are the people around me? Who is my family? Do they know you? Where is my sphere of influence? Where do I live? Where is my neighborhood? More questions. What gifts have you given me? How have you equipped me? Am I hospitable? Did you make me hospitable from the womb? Did you know that I was going to be like this? Did you know I was going to bake cookies for everyone? Did you know that? And then how do I use that to serve you? Is it preaching? Is it teaching? What is it that you have gifted me in that I can use for you, Lord? Third question you can ask is, who have you put on my heart? What have you placed in my heart? What burden is here? Is it for the poor? Is it for those who are in need? Is it for children? Is it for widows and orphans? Is it for the oppressed? What, what have you put in my heart, God, that I can use to serve you in? See, we have to reflect with God, what is our role? What is our role in your grand plan? See, this is, these are our struggles our struggles is we want a new job. Our struggles is uh, we're trying to hustle, but rent is due. You know, it's, these are our ordinary struggles. And then there's a plan that's moving forward. And we have to recognize that. We have to recognize where we are. See, Zechariah and Elizabeth embraced this role. They received this blessing. Despite their years of pain, God came in. He removed their shame, and then he called them. called them. You're going to be parents to this prophet. And we likewise, we need to know that in our daily struggles, in our daily lives, God is calling us. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are so much greater than what we see. We thank you that you have been moving since the beginning. Whether we have known it or not, you have been present in our lives and you are working out your plan. Lord, we ask that you would help us to go with you. Help us to not be siloed in our views of our own struggles, Lord, but help us to see your grand work. Help us to see the calling that you have given us, Jesus, to make disciples for your glory, Lord. Father, help us not to be doubtful of our salvation. Help us not to be stagnant in our walk. Help us to live out fully and glorify you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.